is wonderful. I missed an announcement this morning that uh, next week we have a combined service, and the reason for that combined service is uh, annual conference. Uh, my family and I will be leaving Tuesday morning and driving out to Cincinnati for annual conference. Um, and so before we begin, I just want to have a word of prayer uh, for our time there. Um, if you've been around the Church of the Brethren for long, you know we have um, quite a diverse group and that we argue a lot. Even though we're a peace church, we haven't figured out all the time how to be peaceful with each other. Um, this year is uh, hopefully the beginning of some discussion about how we might move forward together, serving Jesus together, uh, despite differences in, in theology that we might have. How can we serve God, serve Jesus, and, and love our neighbors too? Uh, so would you pray with me? Jesus, um, we love you so much. And we're thankful for you, who you have called each of us as individuals to be. And we thank you for who you have called Spring Creek to be. And we thank you for who you have called the Church of the Brethren to be. And um, as we gather together to hear and to discern your spirit in community, which is something we value so much, we ask that you would help us to um, open our ears to what you would have for us. That as um, officers and delegates begin to meet, um, to pray, to read scripture together, that we might fall more and more in love with you. And um, we just ask you to be present during the conference that we might uh, do your will. In Jesus' name. Amen. It was a warm day in early August. Eight followers of Jesus met secretly near a stone bridge. They sang a few hymns and then they read our scripture from Luke 14 about counting the cost. And then the eight committed their crimes. They would be disowned by families. They would be imprisoned. They would be chained into the bottoms of galleys. They would lose careers, homes, and wealth. Some would be forced to confess their crimes. And then they waded into the clear, cold water. The first to be baptized was the group's leader. He knelt in the river and was baptized three times forward in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then the leader in turn baptized three other men and three other women, completing their crime against the state and against the church. The year was 1708, and this was the beginning of the Brethren Movement. It echoed a commitment to Jesus that the first century church had made. As Christians began following Jesus, willingly suffering at the hands of Roman Caesars, some being crucified in mockery of their Lord and Savior, others being doused in oil and used as human light posts, others fed to lions in the Colosseum. 
it mirrored other committed groups of Christians who quietly and peacefully dissented from the state churches, counting the cost of following Jesus and willingly paying that price with their lives. It was a foreshadowing of Christians in Soviet and communist bloc who willingly paid with their lives to follow Jesus. Alexander Mack, who was the leader of this group, penned the words that we read as our call to worship. And I just want to read the first verse of that again to you. Christ Jesus says, count well the cost when you lay the foundation. Are you resolved, though all seem lost, to risk your reputation, yourself, your wealth for Christ the Lord as you now give your solemn word? This morning I want to take a deeper look at Luke 14 and what those believers read as they went down into the Ader River to be baptized. What have so many Christians down through the ages found so compelling about Jesus that they were willing to risk everything to follow him? What motivated the disciples when Jesus says, come follow me, to leave behind everything and follow him, to give up a paycheck, a livelihood, family, and willingly follow Jesus. Our scripture takes place immediately following after our text from last week. Last week, we talked about the parable of the banquet. Jesus shows up at a party. He heals somebody on the Sabbath. He criticizes the other guests for worrying about their honor. And then he criticizes his host and saying, you invited the wrong people. You shouldn't have invited all the important wealthy people. You should have gone out and welcomed in the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the lame. And then Jesus tells a story about people that have their priorities all out of whack. And they make up really bad excuses for why they miss out on Jesus' party. And Jesus goes out, and in the story, uh, the servant goes out and welcomes in these other people. And now Jesus continues on his journey. He's just spoken about the openness of the kingdom. That anyone and everyone is invited to Jesus' party, not just the super religious, not just those that think they're righteous, but God is going out and welcoming in everyone. And so our scripture starts that large crowds were f traveling with him. You know, Jesus never seems to say the thing that you think he's going to say. And in this case, he certainly doesn't say the thing that we would like him to say. He doesn't just say, wow, this is so great. Look at the crowd. Large crowds are following Jesus. Exactly what we think he should want. Exactly what we think we should want often as the church. But it seems Jesus thinks the crowd needs a little thinned out. That maybe some people are following him who really aren't committed. We're maybe just paying lip service to following him. And so Jesus begins, whoever comes to me and does not hate 
father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. And Jesus says stuff sometimes that you think, what, what were you thinking? You got this group following you, and now you come in and you say, unless you hate these people that are closest to you. You say, wait, what? I thought we were supposed to love everyone. What is Jesus doing here? Well, Jesus uses something we call rabbinic hyperbole, which means he uses really drastic language to highlight his point. Jesus is really telling his disciples and those following him, unless you give me first precedence in your life, unless you make me the center of what everything is about, you have no place with me. Unless you're willing to leave all of these good things to follow me, you have no place as my disciple. Now, is Jesus telling his disciples that they need to hate his parents, hate their parents, hate their family. When Jesus has said, love everyone, love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you, hopefully you are also loving your family. But Jesus is using drastic language to highlight his point. And then he continues on. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus says this before the crucifixion. That first group following him. I wonder what went through their head when Jesus says, unless you take up your cross and follow me. They were familiar with what crucifixion was. They had probably seen somebody crucified in Jerusalem before. Jesus is not the first or last Jew or Christian to be crucified. What kind of shock went through them when he says, take up your cross? And yet when Luke writes this, when he writes these words, the church has seen what Jesus has gone through. They've seen what other followers of Jesus have gone through. That followers of Jesus have faithfully given up their livelihood, their families, their lives in order to stay committed to Jesus they had risked those crucifixions, those burnings and torturings, those lions and gladiators. And then Jesus tells two parable-like stories. The first is about building a tower. And he says, you figure out the cost first before you begin the project. You figure out what it's going to cost you and you Try and figure out, can you really afford the cost? Otherwise, if you start building the tower and you don't have what it takes to complete, others are going to think you're a fool. In Lancaster County, out near Leola, near Route 23, is the world's most expensive goat The state had budgeted about $9 million back in the 1970s to build a, a bypass to redirect traffic off of Route 23. They didn't count the cost. And so they started to grade a roadbed. 
they constructed a bridge and ran out of money. And to this day, that bridge is out in the middle of a field, Amish goats and mules walking over the bridge. It's a great testament to not counting the cost, to not sitting down and figuring out, do we have what it takes to do this project? Of course, it was the promise of many following politicians that they were all going to take care of this. It's still there. So no one took care of that bridge. I remember driving by it. Where's the road out there? And a friend was, that's it. It's a goat path. Just incredible. Do we have what it takes to complete the project? And then Jesus tells a similar story. The same meaning. A king wages war and you count the cost. Do you have what it takes? Are you willing to pay the cost to go up and fight against this enemy? Do you have what it takes to win the battle? You sit down and you figure those costs out before committing to building or committing to waging war. Jesus continues, Therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The parable of the banquet was about people who got wrapped up in their possessions, their wealth, even relationships. Here again, Jesus uses a bit of hyperbole about giving up all your possessions. Does Jesus want you to give up all of your possessions, everything you have? Maybe. I think too often we say, no, Jesus is just being, he's just using drastic language again here. But maybe Jesus is calling you to give up some of your possessions. Maybe there are things, property, wealth, that is really keeping you from following Jesus. And in that case, I I think we need to think about those things. Maybe Jesus is calling us to give up possessions. He certainly wants us to loosen our grip and to trust him. And so we start to ask questions about our faith, about the gospel and what we preach. We wonder, so... Jesus loves everyone, right? Absolutely. Anyone and everyone is invited to Jesus' party. Absolutely. That's what the parable he just told was all about. Grace is a free gift of God based on the righteousness of Jesus, not based on anything that we do, not based on our own effort, not based on our own righteousness, right? Absolutely. But following Jesus is also costly. It will cost you everything. It will cost you everything to find the only thing worth anything. And so sometimes in the American church, we have sold Jesus light, or we've sold cheap Jesus. We've typically focused on Jesus as Savior. That Jesus saves us, that he heals us and restores us. And that is all absolutely 100% true. Sometimes we've told people that God has a wonderful plan for your life. 
And I think ultimately that's true, but too often we've just said that and left it out there and people have expected instantaneous change. They've expected to receive something back now. All the disciples get is homeless, traveling, wandering, and then persecuted for following Jesus. Jesus is Lord is a lot harder to claim than Jesus as Savior. Because he is now king of our lives. We can't sell cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Cost of Discipleship. And in his book, he defines what cheap grace is. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without a cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Bonhoeffer went on to say that happy are they who know that discipleship simply means the life that springs from grace. As a result of grace that we have experienced, we now live in discipleship. We're drawn into deeper and deeper relationship with Jesus. Pastor and author Bruxy Cavey has said, free grace and costly discipleship are two sides of the same coin. Jesus knew that following him was going to be hard. And he made no mistakes about that. He let people know right up front. One time a guy asked if he could follow Jesus. And Jesus' response was that foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another time Jesus told those following him that they needed to eat his body and drink his blood. He's basically telling them, you need to have participation in my life. You need to be connected to who I am. We might say, you are what you eat. And you know what? That made some people mad. They were tired of hearing Jesus talk in parables and talk in ways they didn't understand. And now Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're done they walk away. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, what about you? What about you? Where are you going to go? They don't have what it takes. What about you? Are you willing to continue to follow me? And Peter, who often gets it wrong, but in this instance, gets it so right. Peter speaks up and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. In essence, Jesus, we know too much. Jesus, we have experienced too much We've seen your power. We've seen your love. We've seen your grace. We don't know where else to go. 
We don't know how else to get to that. You have the words of life. If there were anywhere else that had words of life, we'd go. But where else can we get it? We've experienced too much Jesus. One of the first ministry classes I had at Malone University was taught by uh, the, the dean of the School of Theology, Larry Rainier. And I love that as we met in this ministry class and there were people that were intending to major in youth ministry and children's ministry and planning to go and be on to seminary and, and be pastors and all kinds of people just really excited about serving Jesus. We were all, most of us were freshmen, just excited to be there and excited about God. Larry walked into the class and he said, if you can do anything else in life and be satisfied, go and do it. If you can find fulfillment in any other occupation other than pastoral ministry and serving the church, go and do it. Do yourself a favor. Don't go into ministry. But if you know that there is just no other way, if there's nothing else you can do and be at peace in your soul, then maybe set-apart ministry in the church is for you. Up front with the cost of serving Jesus. Why were the disciples willing to risk everything to follow Jesus? Why did the early church brave persecution to follow Jesus? Why did Mac and the others decide to break the law and be baptized into a new community of faith? Because they knew too much. They knew the deep love and grace of Jesus and they became completely enveloped in the love of God. And they said, where else do we go? To whom shall we turn? Jesus, if we're honest, we want an easier life. We don't want to pay those costs. We don't want to give up the things that make us comfortable. We don't want to give up relationships. We don't want to give up possessions. But if we have to, if that's what it costs us, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. You call us to a cross to give up everything, to surrender our possessions, our wealth, our relationships, even our lives to your care. And we just want more of you. We just want more of you. Where else can we go? We each have a starting point in our journey with Jesus. We have a starting point that comes in all kinds of different ways, different ages. It comes at different backgrounds and from different struggles. Jesus called to the fishermen simply. He said, come, follow me. But as we journey with Jesus, as we grow in relationship, Jesus calls us to deeper waters. We might start on the shore, but he calls us out. He calls us to deeper faith and to deeper obedience. 
And so I want to invite anyone and everyone to discipleship in Jesus. It's open to poor, blind, lame beggars. Jesus does want to heal you. But I have to be honest that as you follow Jesus, it may cost you something. It may cost you everything. Jesus calls us to count the cost. See if you're really willing to pay the price. Our series is called Imagine a World. Imagine a world in which Jesus disciples, in which you and I live in a committed way like this. If we were willing to give up everything to continue to follow Jesus, if we were willing to risk everything to follow him. Eleven disciples empowered by the Spirit help begin a movement that spreads across the world and changes the world. Eight people on the banks of the Ader River continue a movement of people committed to Jesus. They asked questions about the church's views of violence. They lived simply and cooperatively. They held the life of Jesus as their guide for faith and practice. I say, look what can happen if we allow ourselves to be wrapped up in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Imagine a world. Imagine a way of life. Imagine a kingdom worth the cost. Imagine a world where the followers of Jesus are so completely connected and committed to the heart of Jesus. We would see our world begin to change. We would see the poor, the blind, the lame, even the religious, welcomed to the kingdom. And we might see more disciples know Jesus Real, true, committed followers of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I'm not there. I haven't reached a point where that cost, I just say, yeah, sure, here it is. It's a struggle every day to decide whether or not I'm going to bear my cross. There are days that I'm not sure I'm really willing to pay the price. I like feeling comfortable. I like feeling safe. And so there's days that I'm not sure it's worth it. There are days when I wonder if building the tower and conquering the enemy is really worth it all. Jesus knew what it meant to carry the cross. And even Jesus didn't bear the cross alone. Someone came and helped him. We're surrounded by brothers and sisters to help us carry our crosses, to shoulder the burden with us. I'll be honest. I don't give too many altar calls. I'm often afraid of them because I'm afraid that somebody's going to respond to a gospel of cheap grace. Jesus is Lord and King, and He wants to be Lord and King of your life. 
And I cannot promise an easy life. I cannot guarantee that you're going to feel whole, healed, and full right away. I will not promise you fame, wealth, security, because Jesus only offers a cross. But if you can't go anywhere else, if you're like Peter and you've come to the realization, where else am I going to go? I've seen too much. I've experienced too much. I'm so drawn by the love of God and the love of Jesus. If you've counted the cost and decided that there's no way that you can't afford not to pay the price to follow Jesus, then I invite you. I want to pray with you. I want to be with you as you begin your journey with Jesus. You don't have to be clean already. When you proclaim Jesus as Lord, you get Jesus as Savior too. You don't have to have everything figured out. The truth is we're all growing and learning and being stretched and molded every day. As we sing our closing hymn, Take my life. If this is the message that you want to respond to, again, if you've said, I'd love to go anywhere else, but I love Jesus so much, I don't care what it costs. If you're willing to pay the price to follow Jesus, then I invite you to come forward this morning, and I would love to pray with you as you begin to follow Jesus.